Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. We're two Catholics with a PhD in common sense. My partner's out doing apostolic work. The, uh, <clears throat> the Terry and Jesse Show is part of Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This is where we engage the culture of death with, uh, with prayer, facts, fasting, and full contact Catholicism. Our program is not right versus left. It's right versus wrong. And I'm reporting for duty. Hey, you can support the show by sharing the full show page at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio and our YouTube channel called Full Sheen Ahead. Share us with your friends and evangelize everybody that you love. Hey, <clears throat> the month of August. The Catholic Church dedicates the month of August to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The Immaculate Heart of Mary <clears throat> is often venerated together with the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The devotion that we celebrated in June. And with good reason. <clears throat> Just as a sacred heart represents Christ's love for mankind, the Immaculate Heart represents the desire of the Blessed Virgin Mary to bring all people to her Son. There's no better example of the Christian life than that offered by Mary. Through the following prayers, uh, you know, in our daily Catholic life, our daily protocol, we can deepen our devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We can join the Mother of God in drawing closer to Jesus. That's what Mary does. She draws us closer to Jesus. <clears throat> A couple of things we're going to talk about today, <clears throat> later on in the show. We're going to talk about, uh, again, I'm going to talk, continue talking about the, the new Mayan rite of the Mass over in, in, in Mexico, which is problematic to say the least. This is syncretism. This is, uh, this is, a step in the wrong direction. So we're going to talk about, and I'm going to offer some correction to our Hispanic brothers in Mexico. It's not their fault. I mean, it's, it's the bishops and priests that allow this, this new Mayan rite. Why do they allow the Mayan rite, but they have this contempt against the Latin rite, the, uh, the pre-1965 mass? I don't know. Then I'm also going to look at, we're going to look at the word God's mercy and God's justice. And we're going to do a deep dive on that as well. What is God's mercy? What is God's justice? How do they interrelate? And does one precede another? That's what we're going to look at today. <clears throat> okay. A couple things that I want to also share. Let's talk about the gospel of today. And then let's also look at the saint of the day. And and I want us to give a small uh a small teaching on, on redemptive suffering because this is an area that sets Catholics apart from everybody else, redemptive suffering. So let me share today's gospel. Then I'm going to share today's saint. And then I'm going to offer some commentary on redemptive suffering because this is what sets the Catholic Church apart from any other religion is our understanding of suffering where they don't have other religions don't have an understanding of what to do with suffering or why it happens. Well, I'll give you a good catechesis on redemptive suffering. But let me, let's just take a look at today's Holy Gospel. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Today's Gospel, the Gospel of St. John, chapter 12, verse 24 and following. Jesus said to his disciples, by the way, if you've ever wondered as a Catholic what the name Jesus means, it's Hebrew, Yeshua, which means God saves. That's what Jesus means. Yeshua, which means God saves. So the name of Jesus tells us who he is and what he does. Who is he, God, and what does he do? Save. 
Jesus said to his disciples, by the way, the word disciple in Greek is methetes, which means a student, a student of the master. Amen, amen, I say to you. Okay, anytime Jesus Christ says the double amen, that's a, that's a, a, a solemn Hebrew oath. That's a solemn Hebrew oath. In other words, when our Lord says, amen, amen, I say to you, it's like in English, the equivalent would be, you better listen, because what I'm going to say is very important. That's what the double amen means. The double Hebrew expletive. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Our Lord is talking about himself there. He's that grain of wheat that came specifically to die for the sins of the world on a cross and then to rise. Why? Because when he rises, he's going to produce much fruit. He's going to give us the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He's going to establish the church. He's going to establish the, the, the authority of the church. He's going to establish the sanctifying grace, which are the seven sacraments. So Christ had to die and rise to send the Holy Spirit to produce fruit. What fruit? The Catholic Church. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Our Lord says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. In other words, we're called to live with what's called uh, this. uh, uh, Always realizing that we were made for another world, to put it simply. We were not made for this. We're not citizens of planet Earth. This is temporary. We're citizens of heaven. That's eternal. And that's what the Lord, he's reminding us of that. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. In other words, don't be a worldling. A worldling is a secular humanist who just lives for the weekend lives for the next moment of titillation, lives for the next sexual experience, lives for, lives for the next margarita. That's a worldling. They don't go to mass. They don't worship God. They don't pray. They don't have a relationship with God. They're worldlings. Okay? Our Lord says, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, there also will my servant be. The Father will honor whoever serves me. So notice, if we want to preserve a life forever, then we have to learn to hate this world. And what I mean by hate the world, the word Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word for hate is to love less. In other words, you better love this world less than you love God. If you love this world more than you love God, uh, your moral conscience is backwards. It's upside down. It's inverted. We're supposed to love God more than we love this world. That's what it means in Hebrew to hate. It means to love less. We have, as Catholics, we have to love the world less than we love God. That's what he's saying here. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there also will my servant be. Well, where is our Lord right now? He's in heaven. He's in the Blessed Sacrament. So wherever Jesus is, we'll be there also. The Blessed Sacrament is in Catholic churches, so we should flee, run to Catholic churches as often as possible to receive our Lord. But our Lord is also in heaven. And so one day his servants, that's us, his servants were also his friends. We will also be with the Lord in heaven. Okay, let's look at a life of redemptive suffering. St. <clears throat> Lawrence, 
St. Lawrence, pray for us. St. Lawrence was a deacon. He was a martyr. He, he preached the gospel by, by his love for the poor and his courage under torture by fire and his unswerving love for Christ are unbelievable and inspirational. So, St. Lawrence was one of the Roman church's seven deacons who were personally responsible for the care of the city's poor. When the Roman clergy was, was rooted out and killed under the Emperor Valerian in the year 258 AD, St. Lawrence was saw his beloved Pope Sixtus II hauled off to martyrdom. The tradition tells us that Lawrence at once liquidated the church's possessions and dispersed them to the poor. When the prefect of Rome heard of this, he demanded that Lawrence turn over the money. Three days later, Lawrence brought him the church's treasure, the destitute, the orphans, the blind, and the lame. For this reason, Deacon Lawrence, now St. Lawrence, was roasted on a gridiron. And as he was being roasted, he even had some levity and some self-deprecation. He told his executioners, hey, I'm pretty cooked on this side. Can you turn me over? That's, that's the type of response of a man who looks at death as a positive option. When you know Jesus and when you are in Christ and Christ is in you and when you live in a state of sanctifying grace, guess what? That's the answer that you would give when you face death. Death does become a positive option. Death just becomes the doorway to eternal life. As Catholics, I invite you every day to offer up your sufferings to the Lord. There's a morning offering prayer. It goes, O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day in union with the Holy Sacrifice throughout the Mass, of, of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world. Okay? This, so this prayer, whatever you're going through, medical problems, because you're getting older, they're also a form of suffering. Uh, <clears throat> whatever aches and pains you have, offer them every morning to God as penance. And also, remember, you must be in a state of grace for the penance to be meritorious in the sight of God. And let's not forget that all Catholics are required to do some type of penance every Friday according to the 1983 Code of Canon Law. None of us are going to escape suffering. St. Maximilian Kolbe said there are three stages of life. Number one, formation, your childhood. Number two, apostolate, your vocation. Number three, and suffering, old age and infirmity. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. We're going to talk about something that's happening south of the border where half of my family lives. They're trying to introduce a new rite in the Catholic Church, which is pagan. Call the Mayan rite. We'll be right back. Stick around. Terry and Jesse show, we're back. We're ta- uh, what's my connection to Mexico? Both my parents were born in Mexico. Both of them are dead now. 
They've been dead for over a decade. Um, I still pray for them often. Uh, they died in a state of grace with the sacraments. So I hope, H-O-P-E, I hope to see them again one day because I hope that I die in a state of grace. My mom and dad would be turning in the grave if they saw what's happening in Mexico right now. The, there's a new Mayan rite of the Mass. Yeah, you heard me. Mayan rite of the Mass. This project is well advanced and uh, it confirms the, the introduction of elements of Mayan culture into the sacred liturgy. Uh, the, documents, the, document, the draft documents entitled Adaptations to the Ordinary of the Mass Among the Indigenous Peoples of the Diocese of San Cristobal de las Casas Chiapas. So the document, it was dated April 2023. It's 31 pages long. It was provided by Cardinal Felipe uh, Esquivel. So what are the key points of this document? This modernist document, what are they? The central elements of the project are incensing administered throughout Mass by lay male or female persons, prayers led by a male or female lay person with a new liturgical office called principal throughout the Mass, so there's new off, and the Mayan liturgical dances. In addition, the inclusion of a Mayan altar is preserved, but with the name with the name Mayan offering. <laughs> Pure paganism infiltrating the Catholic Church. This is called syncretism. So <clears throat> the diocese in, in Mexico, this particular diocese in Chiapas, wishes to establish two, two, two new liturgical offices held by a male or female layperson, chosen by the parish community, then merely confirmed by the bishop. The first of these offices is being called a principal, and the second one of these offices is called an incensor. So, the principal, this layperson, in this, the Mayan rite of the Mass in Mexico that they're proposing, is being placed side by side with the priest and leads the faithful in prayers during the Mass. This role considerably diminishes the importance of the priest at Mass. This new office that has no basis in tradition or scripture seems to be given a high importance. Thus, the liturgical office of principle is conferred on the person, male or female, who is a moral authority in the community. In other words, just the, 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 the Susan from parish council or the parish liberal is going to be now the principal in Mexico. Trust me. And this principle, he's going to guide his people in prayer and in faith. This liturgical office of principle in the Mayan rite is the one who guides and gives advice on the life of faith, religious traditions, and also takes care of the good works of the work of those who have a ministry of service in the Christian community. Within liturgical celebrations, its function is to guide the people at the invitation of the one who presides over the celebration in moments of community prayer. So, this new mind right, it places the principal, this lay person called the principal at Mass, above the permanent deacon and his wife. Here's what it says, the document. The principals or elders, representatives of the indigenous ecclesial community, are very important agents for formation. They are to accompany with their advice, experience, and wisdom the indigenous permanent deacon and his wife, ensuring their firm roots in the community 
according to their culture. So the second office in the sacred liturgy in the new Mayan rite that they wanted, that they're trying to promote in Mexico is called the incensor. The incensor incenses the altar, the priests at different moments during the mass, which further diminishes the role of the priest. The draft speaks of the incensation of the cross and the altar and if applicable, the images of Mary and the saints. So this new liturgical office called incensor in the Mayan rite can be exercised by a man or woman. Here's what the document says, quote, it is proposed that among the original peoples of the diocese, the liturgical office of incensation for all liturgical actions of the church should remain in the hands of the persons, male or female, designated by the community and approved by the bishop, these two new offices, principal and censor, already exist by Episcopal approval. Wow. <laughs> the roots of this culture, the Mayan culture, they're pagan. Let's just call it what it, what it is. I'm not afraid to, to be politically incorrect. And despite Cardinal Arismendi's explanation, the rights that we propose have a Catholic base but they're developed by these, by these new peoples who have Mayan origins and who have distanced themselves from the ancient Maya. That's what the, the Cardinal says. But come on, let's just be honest. The fear of syncretism remains. And the, the draft goes so far as to state that the Mayan practices are indispensable for the indigenous for getting into a relationship with God, thereby implying that the old pagan way of prayer could even be more effective than the prayers of the holy sacrifice of the mass. This is heresy and apostasy on full display. Prayer allowed and done communally, guided by this lay person called the principle, is the way in which one opens one's heart to God, is what the document says. Enters into direct relationship with him, dialogues with him, Without this element, one is not willing to have the heart to participate, to listen to his word. For this reason, the community prayer guided by the principle, this lay person, is an essential element that must be included in the ordinary of the mass. <clears throat> Celebrate it with the, with the uh, original peoples of, of, the, of the diocese. <clears throat> Without this element, one would not be entering adequately into a personal relationship with God as is intended in the celebration of the Eucharist with the initial rites. In other words, here's what the document just said, okay? It's, it's saying, without the ancient way of praying, the Mayan way of praying aloud, with, with the ancient ritual of lighting candles that are standing on the, on the ground in front of the altar, this is a practice that stems from the pagan rituals of the Mayan people. The document says that the way of the sacrifice of the Mass appears to be diminished. Are you kidding me? The, this is a uh, modernism and apostasy in full display and, and heterodox teaching. According to the draft of this mind document, it says this. We have also the historical element since this has been the proper way of these cultures to live, to live the relationship with God. In this way, the celebration of the Eucharist and the proper way of praying of these peoples do not remain as something alien or separate, but, but are done together all in harmony, including creation. For a Catholic, harmony with creation is achieved through God and only through Jesus Christ's Son, not through some Mayan pagan prayers and Mayan pagan deities. So the whole lighting candles now in this, the, the Mayan rite of the Mass in Mexico being proposed, the need for this practice is explained as follows. 
Community prayer with candle lighting has been one of the models of prayer that are most frequently used in, in the indigenous peoples with which they express all the requests that the community has in its heart. This mode of prayer is one of the ways that these people have, ex- have to express more strongly their trust in God. Now, here's what they're not saying is that the Mayans didn't believe in one God. They believed in many gods. This is what the document's not saying. They're playing fast and loose with the fact that you don't know Mayan culture. The Aztecs and the Mayans in Mexico were polytheists. They believed in many gods, not one God. They didn't believe in the same God we do, who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So their prayers don't go to the Trinity. The authors of the draft seem to imply that the ancient rule of lighting candles seems to be more powerful for the indigenous people than the holy sacrifice of the mass, or at least necessary for its full effectiveness. The... The, the Mayans worshipped Mother Earth and they were involved in ancestor worship. The lighting ceremony, which is accompanied by people bowing their heads and touching the ground and singing soft tunes, is meant not only to get in touch with God, but also with one's ancestors in Mother Earth, thereby placing God on the same level as these other entities. And we see how the worship of God seems to be placed on the same plane as the worship of idols. And what can can I say about the Mayan altar? The lighting of the candles is linked to the installation of a Mayan altar named Mayan offering. It says it right on the altar by which the document describes this altar is to be placed inside the Catholic church close to the real altar and also mentions again the Mayan symbolic colors of red, black, white, and yellow as well as the four cardinal points or orientations. The cardinal colors have a meaning derived from the ancient polytheistic religion of the Mayans. So, according to the draft document, Thanksgiving can also be expressed with a dance. Yes, the Mayans call it a collective thank you. And so in the dance, the feet caress the face of Mother Earth, making light movements. The face of God is greeted by moving to the four directions of the universe. It is time to feel the closeness of our brothers and sisters dancing together to the same being. The, the document says God dances in our midst, but it is also it is also to feel the presence of Jesus, of the saints, of our ancestors who are dancing with us, not as a forced imagination, but as a real spiritual presence in joint harmony. What is this new age garbage? This is new age poppycock. This is uh, the cosmic Christ from Taylor Deschardins. The, this Mayan text in Mexico also claims that the ancestors are really spiritually present at this ritual dance in the Mass, something that seems to be at odds with Catholic doctrine. In the draft document, it says, this liturgical dance is an integral part of liturgical action. It is dance liturgy, not merely dance in the liturgy. It's dance liturgy. <laughs> Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, he, always, he already addressed these problems. That, that dancing is not proper to the Latin rite. It's not pro- proper to the Roman rite. That's not the tradition. Is because dancing, it denotes, uh, it, it denotes uh, sexual proclivities. Okay? It's a, a dance. I mean, you could even look at the dance done by Solomon in front of her father. A dance is meant to, it's meant to entice. It's meant to display the body. It's meant to display the movements of the body, which look beautiful, especially in a woman. And so this is why dancing in the liturgy is never proper, because in the West, dancing is 
is, is something that you're doing when you're courting a young lady and you want her to be Mrs. So-and-so, it all starts off with, we're going to hold hands and somewhere down the line, we're going to go to a dance. And so this precipitates courting, this precipitates engagement, this precipitates marriage. This is not part of the liturgy. The draft's author, surprise, surprise, is a Jesuit, Father Felipe Aguilar, who's already involved in the preparation of the 2019 Amazon Synod. He's named as a coordinator of the Diocesan Commission for the New Indigenous Rite in Chiapas, Mexico, which is very attentive to the communication with our ancestors. I'll make some parting comments on the next segment. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Bad stuff. This is not good. God help us. Lord help us. Uh, God come to our assistance. Uh, we know that when the Antichrist comes, what's he going to try to do? Stop the mask. We'll be right back. Terry and Jesse show we're back. We're talking about the Mayan rite of the mass over in Mexico. How did Christianity come to Mexico? And how did it come to me? I was born in Los Angeles, California. My mom and dad are from Mexico. So who brought Catholic Christianity to Mexico? It was Catholic Spain. Spain brought Christianity to the Mayans, to the Aztecs, and to the indigenous Indians in Mexico. Or I, if Christianity did not give culture to Mexico, uh, uh, you know, Mexico would, would look just like the movie Apocalypto. Watch Mel Gibson's movie Apocalypto, and everybody south of the border would be living just like that. Catholicism rescued Mexico from paganism and from Mayan paganism, Aztec paganism. That's why I don't understand why these bishops in Mexico are going back to what Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Spanish conquistadores liberated Mexico from paganism. And who brought Christianity to Spain? It was St. James. The tradition is he went from Jerusalem to Spain and evangelized Spain. So there's a direct connection, direct connection there, right back to, to Jerusalem, to Christ and the 12 apostles. St. James went to Spain, the Spanish conquistadores went to Mexico, and then the Spanish Franciscans came up the coast to California and uh, the Southwest. And so that's how Christianity entered my veins. But going back to the Mayan rite, and I'll just make a few, a few more comments and I want to go on to another topic. Another member, Father Victor Hernandez, pastor of the parish of San Juan Chamula, a parish, quote, known for its animal sacrifice and other non-Catholic or pagan worship practices. Did you hear that? Several tourists tell their experiences in this church. Here's a sample. This one tourist said, quote, they allow the candles to burn completely during and after their personal ceremonies, leaving behind puddles of multicolored wax. Worshippers pray aloud in the Mayan indigenous language, sometimes weeping and repeatedly making the sign of the cross. They drink, apparently this is inside the church, they drink Coca-Cola and Pox, the regional distillate, 
and burp with the intention of evacuating malevolent spirits. Here's what another eyewitness says that happens in that church. Of Father Victor Manuel Hernandez, pastor of uh, San Juan Chamula, a parish known for its, its pagan practices. Another person's uh, eyewitness said, sometimes the family is joined by a curandero, a shaman, a healer who may lay hands upon the afflicted, absorb their maladies into a chicken egg, or cure them by waving a, 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 a live hen overhead. In extreme cases, they then kill the chicken right there, and the Mass is regularly celebrated in this church by the priest, Father Victor uh, Perez Hernandez. What this man is doing, being a Catholic priest, this guy missed his vocation. This guy should have been an occultist, a shaman. This guy's an infiltrator. He's an imposter. This is, this is one of the Judases in the Catholic Church. But don't be afraid. We've been warned by the fathers of the church and the gospels that in the church, in the one true church, you'll have good fish and bad fish. You'll have weeds and wheat. You'll have, uh, uh, you know, you'll have the sons of God and the sons of Satan within the kingdom of heaven itself. To me, my concluding remarks is that it seems pretty obvious to me that the adaptation of cultural elements and the rights of the Mayan origin for the Diocese of San Cristobal de las Casas does not avoid syncretism. In fact, it promotes syncretism. And for people who are immersed in a culture transmitted over the centuries and heavy with their primitive meaning, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to free themselves from what is linked to this system. If bishops and priests in Mexico are able to make the distinction and balance things out, it is not the same for the faithful. Moreover, what need is there to bathe the disciples of Christ in Mexico in these elements of paganism, which can only confuse them by leaving them attached to the practices that are in the, that are in the least, at the very least, superstitious, and for the most part, idolatrous and probably diabolical. And so who's responsible for fixing this paganized right? That's the question. All right. Let me move on to another topic. Let's talk about which is greater in God. God's mercy or God's justice. Turn me spoke about this a couple of days ago and I thought it would be, uh, it would be good to revisit it again. So the question that I'm going to seek to ask or answer is, is God's mercy... Greater than his justice is God's mercy greater than his justice. Okay. Yeah, there, there is an absolute priority in divine mercy over justice. And we're going to see this. I'm going to show you some of the great minds of the church, some of the giants of the church. Okay. Now, before I quote some of some of the people that weigh in on the, the actual question of what is what takes priority, divine mercy or justice, is God's mercy greater than his justice? St. Thomas Aquinas says the following. He says this, quote, God is known by natural knowledge through the images of his effects. So God is known through the images of his effects. Images of his effects. Well, put simply, God is known by his effects because we can't see him. But God is known by creation. He's known by... Uh, giving us beauty, goodness, truth. So God's known by his effects. 
Now, love is an effect of God. How so? God is love. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. Now, to be sure, we cannot see love. We can only feel its effects. I can't see my wife, Anita. I can't see, you know, love, but I can feel the effects of love. The way she treats me as, as a husband. Again, we cannot see God. We can only feel his effects. Again, God is love. 1 John 4, 16. Love is, is one of the 14 emotions mentioned in the catechism. Uh, the Hebrew word for love is also hesed. So God is hesed. What does hesed mean? Hesed in Hebrew is translated as love, compassion, and mercy. So when the Jews say uh, 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 Elohim is hesed. God is hesed. God is love. God is compassion. God is mercy. That's what the word hesed means. And to be fair, to be fair, God's also called the God of justice. All right? Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. God is also called the God of justice, to be sure. In fact, in the liturgy of the New Rite, the Novus Ordo Mass, there's a prayer where we pray every single day. I prayed it this morning at the Novus Ordo Mass. The priest says, lift up your hearts. And we say, we lift them up to the Lord. He says, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And what do we say? It is right and just. Notice, it is right and just. Why? Because God is right and just. And then the priest says, it is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks. So why do we worship God? It is right and just. Now, let's, let's, let's get into the answering the question, is God's mercy greater than his justice? Here is uh, evidence number one. St. John Paul II, he wrote a document called On the Mercy of God in 1980. And here's what he says, St. John Paul II. How, here's how he answers the question. He says, Mercy is in a certain sense contrasted with God's justice. And in many cases is shown to be not only more powerful than that justice, but also more profound. Even the Old Testament teaches that although justice is an authentic virtue in men, and in God signifies transcendent perfection, nevertheless, love is greater than justice. Greater in the sense that it is primary and fundamental. Pope John Paul II. So he just answered the question. And he says, yeah, love is greater than justice in God. He says, love is more powerful than justice in God. Let's go to the top of the food chain for this. Let's go right to the Holy Bible. That's the top of the food chain. To answer the question, what is greater in God's, his love or his justice? Or what's, yeah, what is greater? God's mercy or God's justice? James chapter 2 verse 13, the Bible says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Yet mercy triumphs 
over judgment. James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The Navarre Catholic Bible says this, quote, quoting St. Augustine, when the just king sits in judgment, who will claim to be pure in heart? Who will boast of being free from sin? What hope could there be if mercy did not prevail over judgment? That's St. Augustine. What hope could there be for any of us if mercy did not prevail over judgment? Remember, God is the king and his mercy prevails over his judgment. In fact, Catholic philosophy teaches us that God's nature is absolutely simple and indivisible. God has no parts and God, God is perfect. There's no distinction in any of his attributes. So, His justice must always be an expression of his mercy. God's justice must always be an expression of his mercy. Moreover, in the book of Psalms, it clearly teaches that God's mercy is over all his works. In Psalm 145, verse 9. And it says that all his his ways are merciful. All God's ways are merciful. Psalm 25, verse 10. I'll stop right there and I'll pick it up on the next segment. We're talking about... Does God's mercy, is it greater than his justice? I'm letting the saints and the doctors and popes weigh in. The answer is yes. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. So we're taking a look, we're answering the question, is God's mercy greater than his justice? I'm quoting to you the popes and saints of the Catholic Church. I just quoted to you St. Augustine on this. Let's look at what the Holy Bible says. Is God's mercy greater than his justice? Or does it precede his justice? Absolutely. Psalm 136, it says, the mercy of God endures forever 26 times. 26 times. doesn't say anywhere in the Bible. The justice of God endures forever, which it does, by the way, but it doesn't say that anywhere. Every time you see the justice of God, it's a single verse, and God is just, and God does have justice, and there will be final justice. I'm just saying that the point is, the saints and doctors of the church are very clear that God's mercy and God's justice, that mercy precedes justice. I think it's James chapter 2, verse 13. It's as clear as you can get. It says, quote, Yet mercy triumphs over judgment. Yet mercy triumphs over judgment. Case closed. It's right in the Bible. St. James chapter 2, verse 13. It's, uh, that verse is a confirmation of God's infinite mercies. It comes out of Psalm 145, verse 9. Where it is said, where it is said that his mercy, that God's mercy is over all his works. And though that is, though all his perfections be equally infinite, yet God is pleased to deal with sinners according to the multitude of his mercies than according to the rigor of his justice. And that that last sentence that I mentioned. 
God is pleased to deal with sinners according to the multitude of his mercies than according to the rigor of his justice. That comes from my uh, uh, Father Leo Haydock Catholic commentary, which was printed in 1859. I think that's the best explanation that I've ever seen. Talking about James chapter 2, verse, th- verse 13, where it, where it says, Yet mercy triumphs over judgment. The, the Catholic commentary on Holy Scripture, this was written in 1954 before Vatican II. It says, it says, but at times, mercy triumphs over severity. Mercy triumphs over severity. That's the Catholic commentary on James chapter 2, verse 13, printed in 1954. St. Thomas Aquinas offers a brilliant explanation of the fact that although mercy and justice are in every act of God, St. Thomas would argue that mercy always precedes justice. Let me read what he says in the Summa, question 21, uh, Summa part one, question 21, answer four. He says, whatever is done by God in created things is done according to proper order and proportion wherein consists the idea of justice. Thus, justice must exist in all God's works. Now, the work of divine justice always presupposes the work of mercy and is founded thereupon. Pretty clear. (laughs) For nothing is due to creatures except for something pre-existing in them or foreknown. Again, if this is due to a creature, it must be due on account of something that precedes. And since, when, and since we cannot go on to infinity, we must come to something that depends only on the goodness of the divine will, which is the ultimate end. So, in every work of God, viewed at its primary source, there appears mercy. There appears mercy. That's St. Thomas Aquinas. Because God does not have to create anything at all. Think about it. Everything he does in the world is an expression first and foremost of his divine mercy. Even the souls condemned to eternal punishments in hell, they first, they first experience mercy before justice. For they have no claim to existence And it is the great act of mercy that God continues to preserve them in existence, especially since they hate him. Now, if the soul in mortal sin and even the soul in hell is supported by the divine mercy, how much more are we who live and especially those in the state of grace encompassed in mercy? What have we to fear? That's why I love that prayer. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us, I trust in you. That's a short little ejaculation prayer that we as Catholics should be projecting into the cosmos every single day at three o'clock. And even whatever time you can get it in, we need to project that prayer throughout the day. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus, as a fountain of mercy for us, I trust in you. 
Let that prayer be on your lips. Let, let me now go on to, um, there's sometimes, I've heard people say, and I want to answer that question. I've heard some people say, well, I don't pray the divine mercy. That's a, that's a post-Vatican, post-Vatican II prayer, so I'm not going to pray it. Well, actually, St. Faustina, she's a pre-Vatican II saint. What I mean by that, she lived during the reign of the Latin Mass. That's the only Mass that she attended. St. Faustina, think about that. She never attended a Novus Ordo Mass. She only attended the Latin Mass. That's the first thing I want to say about St. Faustina. Also, divine mercy. Is there a biblical basis to this? Divine. Well, God is divine. Nobody's going to argue that. It says God is divine in Acts chapter 17, verse 29. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. So, that's established. The Bible says God is divine. I just gave you three Bible verses. And, and I would argue that mercy is, a, is the cornerstone characteristic from God. Why? Because it's mentioned about 300 times in the Bible. Mercy. Our Lord talks about God's, God the Father's divine mercy in Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. This is why you'll see Catholics during Mass. Anytime, anytime there's a prayer at Mass where, where we say, have mercy on us. Any prayer at Mass, or even during the Rosary, where you'll hear people say, have mercy on us, you'll find Catholics, they just instinctively start pounding their heart with their fist. Why is that? Because Catholics understand the, the, the story of Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. The publican and the sinner. When the publican entered the temple, he would not even look up to heaven. He kept his eyes down. And, and it says, and he beat his breast three times with his fist and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, who was justified, that Pharisee that said he was saved or that sinner that pounded his breast? I tell you, it was that sinner who was justified before God. That's why Catholics pound their breasts. Every time a Catholic hears the word have mercy on us in mass or, or, or in devotional prayer in the rosary, Catholics, a lot of Catholics intuitively raise their right fist and pound their breasts because that's a New Testament way of showing God that we're sorry. Also, who was the first person in the New Testament that talks about the divine mercy of God? Who's the first one? Drumroll, priest, The Blessed Virgin Mary. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, in her Magnificat, she talks about God's divine mercy. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 54, Our Lady twice talks about God's divine mercy. Twice. She's the first person in the New Testament that talks about the mercy of God. God is divine, so it's a divine mercy. It's not a human mercy. It's a divine mercy. We also know that Zechariah, the prophet, in Luke chapter 1, verse 72 and 78, he also mentions God's mercy right after the Blessed Virgin Mary does. And so does King David. In Psalm 136, as I told you, King David mentions the mercy of God 26 times. And in Psalm 118, David mentions God's mercy four times. In Daniel chapter 3, God's mercy is mentioned at least four times. So the belief in God's mercy, which is divine, is soaked in Jewish thought and culture. 
Okay? The belief in God's mercy, which is divine. Why? Because God is divine. So his mercy is divine. The word mercy in Latin, misericordia, means tenderhearted. That's what the word mercy means in Latin. Misericordia, tenderhearted. It also means a heart that gives itself to those in need. If there's no mercy, guess what? All we have is despair. The sin of Judas. That is why people put guns to their heads. Because they fall into despair. So sometimes some of my traditional friends, and I consider myself a traditional Catholic, but sometimes people that are probably more extreme, they'll say, I just pray the rosary, Jesse, but I don't pray the divine mercy. Well, guess what? I pray both. I pray the holy rosary every day, and I pray the divine mercy every day. And I'm going to continue saying both these prayers until I drop dead. The holy rosary and the divine mercy prayers will be coming out of my mouth as I'm dying. I hope you do the same. Because the divine mercy of God is also part of sacred tradition. Who spoke about the divine mercy of God. Blessed Humbert of Romans, a French Dominican, 1277 A.D. St. Francis of Xavier, 1552 A.D., spoke of God's divine mercy. St. Anthony Mary Claret, 1870, spoke about God's divine mercy. Take a look at your Roman Missal from Angelus Press. I have one when I go to the Latin Mass. Page 863, it talks about God's divine mercy and how sweet it is. Well, that's a wrap, brothers and sisters in Christ. My name is Jesse Romero. We're here putting the spotlight of truth upon this culture of death. Let's speak the truth of power and live without fear. Those of you that want to go to Israel with me, the land where Jesus walked, go to my website, jesseromero.com. Come with me underneath and Father Dave Nix to Jerusalem. Click on the flyer on my website, jesseromero.com, and let's hang out for nine days and pray and go to Mass together and become holy or, dry, or die trying. We'll see you next time. The only thing that we're going to promote here on the Terry and Jesse show, the only vax we're going to promote is called the blood of Jesus. And the only virus we're going to talk about is the virus of sin. God bless you. Keep the faith.